0: You know, there are a lot of organizations in the world uh, that have done extraordinary things. If you have um, maybe studied some, you would see that sometimes they amass, like, amazing people whose gifts really display for us the 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 amazing image-bearing aspects of the human person. And you see that, and you think, man, I just can't believe it— um, even with every time you see something, some organization, some group of people, uh, some particular individual, uh, you say, man, there's great positives and negatives. But at the, at the end of the day, when you see a collective group of people doing something, you think, man, that is just shocking. And that is just in the world. I'm just watching that, observing that, uh, watching things sometimes ramp up or escalate into something. But, you know, when you think about the church, When you think about the church, uh, the church transcends all these communities because the church is something that God has chosen to build and it will span the ages. It really is God's masterpiece. I mean, if you were to say his redemptive masterpiece, uh, it is glorious. And the angels long to look into it. The church is a united community made up of male and female, wealthy and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, and this heavenly community longs for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, It is the one group of people that have experienced God both as creator and redeemer. And uh, that's just something I think we have to constantly remind ourselves. The level of intimacy that the group of people, the people of God, have uh, with him is absolutely astonishing. Today, we see how the church is to respond to really people that are not close to them, people they don't necessarily know, but will meet. And we see how Paul's going to say, greet these people, welcome them, uh, bring them in and, and bless them in some way. And he's going to kind of lay that out before us. There's a delight in, in, in embracing and in loving and cherishing uh, these that they do not know. And so he encourages them in this. You remember, he's given us kind of his past ministry and those kind of things. And then he looks and points us to his future work. And so this week he's going to say, listen, there's a number of saints I want you to greet. And I also want you to accept their greeting." And then I want you to watch out for those who cause division and be encouraged by the faithful. And ultimately, in the last part of this text, he concludes with a doxology. And so we're concluding the book. But I just want you to keep in mind what the church is, what Paul says about these different individuals and how this all works together to the glory of God. And so let's start in verse one and two. We start with one of the individuals and, and Paul does something interesting. He gives them a condemnation. Uh, I started to say condemnation. Uh, he commends this person. Uh, and, and in that, that culture, in that time, this, this woman, Phoebe, people would write like a letter and say, listen, Uh, And sometimes we say, oh, write me some kind of recommendation. Uh, But that's kind of the idea. He is going to kind of send this letter with her. Uh, This letter, of course, is being sent to the church in Rome. And it's just a way of saying, hey, this lady's coming to you. Treat her with care and with honor. And so in that time period, and some of us, you know, aren't aren't used to this because we grew up. There's hotels, restaurants, everything Uh, Even in smaller towns, we could just stop somewhere and stay. That was not the the case in the um, early church. And so all the more reason for making sure, and and especially in a context where the early church was being persecuted, for there to be an open-door policy uh, in the early church was very, very important. Now, you notice about this lady, she is a servant. That's what she's called. Um, And you could say, man, all Christians are servants or could be called servants. And that is absolutely true. Um, But she's identified as a servant of a particular church, which certainly ties her to a place. But it also highlights something of maybe a position that she has within the church. A lot of people, when they're reading this, because of the term used is the term deacon, is that she would be uh, considered a deacon in this church, that she had uh, that particular place. She was a, a, a key servant in the church where she was from. And so uh, this is kind of... And for some people, they grew up in contexts where only men are deacons. But I think you, you can read a lot of different people and, and study that. In, in particularly this passage. And they would say, look, we think, it seems clear to us, that men and women were deacons. It's not a deacon board or a deacon body. It's just that they are key servants within a church and recognized as such. And so that's what we see about her. But you learn more about her. You see... Uh, that she was a helper of many, including Paul. Now, what are we talking about there? Uh, The helper idea here is the idea of a benefactor or patron. She was potentially a wealthy businesswoman who used her wealth to support the church and missionaries. And so there was kind of uh, an example here of her just service to the church. Paul saw her that way. She was a great servant of the church. Uh, she was a helper of the church. She was a helper of him personally. And uh, he, he, he th- thanks the Lord for her, but also commends her to this church. Uh, one of the things just to note is like for some people, like they don't maybe see uh, women as of great value in the church. Maybe they would have kind of a uh, not a high value of women in the church. But Paul, uh, e- even going against his culture, and again, that, that culture, a lot of times, uh, women were, for some, uh, in that culture, were no more than kind of property in that culture, you know. And so for him, he highlights women, uh, as does Jesus, certainly. Uh, we see that in, in his ministry in life. But, but we see this great uh, debt that this church has to her and uh, also the great benefit that Paul sees in her coming to the church in Rome. And so he treats her with honor, he treats her with care, and he wants to ensure that she has proper treatment uh, and she is treated properly uh, with this church. So he's going to start with that, like a condom... Uh, come on, I keep saying that. A, a, I can't say commending. Yeah, there we go. Um, but he commends her and, and wants to note her specifically. As you continue in this text, you'll notice a number of other names. Uh, In this chapter, Paul lists 26 individuals, two families, and potentially three house churches uh, that should be greeted. Which is another, I mean, that's a, a powerful uh, thing there where he, you know, sometimes he will say, hey, greet this person, maybe like two or three people. This is an extraordinarily long list of people, as we saw uh, just recently, just reading over that. But it, it's, it's people, all different types of people that have benefited uh, the early church, that Paul wants to um, send to to Rome or that will will be in Rome at some point, And he wants them to know uh, that they should honor people like this. So what do you do with this? You might say, you know, something you may have studied the Bible before and you get to like Chronicles or something like that. And you're like, oh, my goodness, there's this long list of genealogies, you know, name after name after name. And in a way, you could say this is a long list of names. What do you do with that? Um, I don't think we go through each one. I mean, you could do that. You can read commentaries and they'll go through each person and trace out where they were in the uh, New Testament and that kind of thing. And and that may be of some value, maybe. Um, But what we're going to try to do is say, okay, what do we learn from the list as a whole? And we'll look at that together. Um, One of the things we learn is there are Jews, including Paul, who are sacrificing greatly for the Gentiles. A big thing in, in Rome uh... in the roman church that paul seems to highlight is the jew and gentile relationship and so he's talking about how these people should be together and that they are together in christ and so when we get to that uh... i think we we have to say okay hold on just a second what is going on here Well, one of the things he's doing is he is showing them how there's this mutual building up of Jew and Gentile. People that were uh, in so many ways socially and economically. And i mean, just the list, just long list of things. These people are brought together and they are to build one another up. You'll notice that Priscilla and Aquila risk their necks for Paul's life. And for the benefit of the Gentile churches. And so it's just a reminder that the, the and, and really if you see Priscilla and Aquila, uh, what we'll look at later is, is they, they had likely a large home that they allowed people to come and, and gather and enjoy uh, uh, fellowship there, gather for worship there, that kind of thing. But it, you see this great benefit that these Jews uh, are offering their lives to serve the Gentile church. Second, as we already noted, women are highlighted, but they're greatly used of the Lord. And a third of the list, a third of Paul's list, that are women. They are women that have benefited him and benefited the church. They are greatly used servants of the church. Their service to the church is being highlighted. He is grateful for them and. Thankful for the work that they have done. Third thing that I just kind of noted is. The, wealthier, I mean, the wealthy people are offering their possessions in the service of the Lord. Some people think that their financial resources are to be hoarded for their own safety and protection. These people are treating their possessions as for the benefit of the kingdom. I mean that's kind of what. You see. You even meet some people that treat their homes like museums. And they store up treasures on earth. But these people are using their homes to store up treasures in heaven. It's the way I would see it. I think it's important that we see that. I I think you notice that here. We see, as James says, like if you are rich in possessions on this earth. You better make sure and be rich in good deeds. And we see that on display. Fourth, there are a number of people who willingly suffer for the sake of Christ, uh, even at at the cost of their life, if necessary. So that's just another aspect of this where you're saying, okay, uh, just walking down through this list, what are we learning about these people in the early church People that are not all pastors, but just people. People in the church. What do you see about them? Fifth, we see married couples striving together for the sake of the gospel. One of the uh, s- difficult things is to sometimes see a man or woman charging hard after God and their spouse not. I think one of the examples that you see here is husband and wife working together for the sake of the gospel. There are some missionary uh, uh, groups that when they are visiting with a, a couple, they want to make sure that both of them are absolutely uh, focused and in, 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 like committed to going overseas because it's going to be really, really hard. You can't have one person all in and one person partially in. And one of the things you note here, I think, is you see this couple running together for the sake of the gospel. Sixth. Paul highlights slaves who are serving the Lord. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a passage in Galatians where Paul says. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. Slave or free. Uh, uh, male or female. And what he's saying is. There's this equality at the cross. That like puts us all on the same playing field we understand we are all sinners in need of a savior that christ has provided us uh, entrance in access in uh, to relationship with him and he highlights those who are uh, that 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 are at, at every station of life from the wealthy to the poor that's what you see and so all Social classes, people are not limited by their social class as far as it comes to being esteemed in Christ and their work on his behalf. Seven, we see God demonstrating how he calls people from every tribe, tongue and nation. This is just something we have to see. It's like he does highlight the fact that these people are are coming from all different aspects and they're Jew and Gentile. So it's 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 the whole world that's coming together. It's the whole world being gathered together in the service of King Jesus. And you see that on display. Number eight. Paul also highlights individuals and their service. You know, have you ever met someone that's like, well all I am is this or all I can do is this. And they they you know, sometimes that's just like a false kind of pride thing or whatever, where it's like, well, all I can do is blah, 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 blah. And, and they say, well, I don't have much to offer and, you know, whatever. But Paul's saying, listen, it, it's it, he is not limiting kind of Christian service to apostles or to pastors. I I, I think sometimes people will say to me, well, well you, you need to do that. That's the church's thing or whatever. You need to kind of watch over that. And it's like, no. You can do that, you know, like God gives the church with different gifts to do different things. And you serve the Lord in the way that he has, has given you to do so. Recently, Ben House asked me, um, he said, have all the older Christian women that have had influence on your life passed away, you know, recent, just recently within the last couple of months? I was like, no, but but I'd highlighted that a couple of people in my uh, in a couple of sermons, and it was just one of those things where people have, in my life have, have, um, have greatly impacted me. I just kind of mentioned them here, and, and I, I want you to understand that it, it's kind of like I was telling Anna yesterday, it's like I, I'm amazed sometimes at how many people God has put in my life that I would say, these are absolutely um, astonishing people. I'm so amazingly grateful The relationships I've had over the years, uh, I really, it it shocks me. Uh, And that says nothing about me. It just, I mean, it just over and over and over, the Lord has put just tremendous people, all different types of people, different backgrounds. Uh, There are males and females and Jews and Gentiles. I mean, you can say whatever. The list is, you know, just it's unbelievable how many people he's placed in my life over the years and. um I think that most of you would say that's true of my life. Uh, If if you've invested in 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 the church at some level, you could look back and just say there's a long list of people that you are thankful for. And Paul, for different reasons, he doesn't even tell you all the reasons. He's just saying like I'm thankful for this person. Like like greet them. In a way, it's like saying like you're going to benefit. You are going to benefit. I really don't have a long list of people that I say, oh, they brought no benefit in my life. Everybody's treated me poorly. Wah, wah, wah. I just don't have that. I, and you might say, well, that, you've had a unique life. I may have, but at, at the same time, I think Paul looks back and says, man, there are just absolutely amazing people that have blessed my life and blessed the life of the church, and and I've watched that. And And you guys, y'all should want those people in your life, and you should seek them out. By the way, I think sometimes it's like, if you don't have those kind of relationships, it's probably because you didn't want them. I mean, I, you know, I, I think sometimes it's like you're your relation. You may be the greatest hindrance to those kind of relationships. So I think it's important that we just stop and say, OK, that this is a beautiful thing. These are common Christians of all different backgrounds who Paul saw as as just great blessings to the church. And he thanked the Lord for him and they. And some use their words and some use their hands. At the end of the day, I think there there is this desire to honor those who are faithful in serving the Lord. Now, in verse 17 through 20, we, we start with this greeting of the saints. He said, greet these people. Welcome them in, be a part of their life, like learn from them, grow with them, uh, bless them, serve them. And then he says, now watch out for those who cause division. It's almost like he's saying, here's the kind of people to welcome. Here's the kind of people that you want to embrace. Here's the kind of people that have sacrificially served Christ and his people. These are the kind of people that you want in your life. These are the kind of people the church should embrace, but that doesn't mean all people are that way. There are some who cause division and offenses. He says, contrary to the doctrine, uh, the doctrine with which you've learned, avoid them. He's just given a long list of the people to be welcome and by, and he demonstrates the the reason, because they're characterized by costly and faithful Christian service. You could say something like their life and doctrine are spot on. But beware of these type of people. People that go against the teaching that I've just laid out for you. In a way you could say the book of Romans is a manual for understanding the gospel and as a result for understanding what is not the gospel. that, that That's kind of, you need to be able to do that. It's like I remember hearing someone uh, many different times. I've heard people talk about it, but but hearing someone for the first time say, listen, you like. I don't know if this is even true. It might be not be true. I've heard that, that, that people would study like uh, when they, back in the day when there was all kinds of money being passed through hands and people were trying to make counterfeits or whatever and it was easier to do so. They would train people just to study uh, the real thing so that when false things came in, they could spot it almost immediately. It, it's almost like you, you have times where you say, I don't know what's wrong with this, but I know something's not right with it. Right. And so Paul says, listen, I've just solidified you in the gospel. And so now, like when you see something or hear something that is opposite of that. You have to not not embrace it, walk away from it. One of the things that you note about these people, we don't know too much about who they are or what they've done, but we know that they are good communicators they're known for flattering. I, I had a pastor that I regularly meet with say, minister, he said, ministers in my circle are much more concerned about delivery than content. You know, and sometimes people do that. Like They'll be like, oh, that was a great sermon. Because of the delivery, the way, and the things, and the illustrations, and all... You know, and the deal is like when you begin to be like enamored by that kind of stuff and not content, it is easy to be like, but it made me cry, you know, or what I mean, not really. But but, you know, like it just moved me. And so then I just like I don't know what happened. I just embraced it, you know. But he's saying like, beware of these people who are leading others astray. In a way, the church in Rome was they were very sensitive to obeying the Lord, and so anytime someone would call them to something, they might want to plunge into it because they want to make sure that they did in no way uh, rejected the teaching uh, uh, from the lord and so he 's saying, "Listen, beware of that, be careful, be wise in listening carefully to the truths." So one of the things he notes here, and a lot of people would say this points back to the Genesis 3 passage where it talks about the uh, one that would come that would crush the head of the serpent. They need to know that this work that Christ did that crushed the head of the serpent, although it, is, it has been done, the fullness of that reality has not yet come, but it will come. And so understand that, hold fast to the gospel, get it right, and embrace that. Now, Verse 21 through 24, he speaks of kind of a greeting of some of his most close associates. The ones that worked alongside Paul in getting the message out, the information out, the teaching out. And and they they were involved at some level. Some of them here, it seems to be noting that, those who are very close to him. And he's saying, listen, they greet you. They're they're the people that really, after Paul goes, they're going to keep passing on the message and ensuring that uh, and watching over that. And then he concludes in verses 25-27 through with a doxology. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. What is Paul's greatest hope here? And this, this, is, kind of, this is a benediction, a, a concluding thing here. What, what's his hope? Paul is looking to God. If you're in your life, if, if you're a Christian life, you think, oh, what, what are we going to do? There's going to be people that are coming in with false teaching and we're so afraid. And, and you meet sometimes people like that maybe spend a lot of time thinking about what's going on in our country. Even you think about it, you think about it and you get, you could get so upset. And I've heard people say before, I just had to stop listening to all the talk because it just made me so nervous and I was just so overwhelmed by it. And I think sometimes with the church, you might think, Things are not going well, or just think, man, this thing's going to fall apart. The reality is, Paul's saying, listen, God is setting us on a firm foundation. This gospel message that's been laid out to us in Romans, this is God's gospel. You didn't come up with it. You didn't create it. You didn't invent it. It's not your gospel. It's God's gospel. It's not your church. It's God's church. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's the case. We can be certain of that. And so when he concludes this, he's saying now to him who is able to establish you, to put you on a firm foundation, to allow you to stand on the rock, God is more interested in holding you and keeping you and watching over you than you are you. And so he's saying, listen, this gospel message will not be thwarted. This mystery that's been unveiled, it will not stop. It's not going to cease to exist. He is going to unpack that before us. It's been made manifest and it will come to pass God is going to bring people from every tribe tongue and nation into his kingdom and you you there's nothing you need to fear you think well, what if I'm getting in the way or what if this person gets in the way or what if God is going to bring this to pass you can put your hope in that the everlasting God will never cease to accomplish what he has put in his plans to accomplish he is going to bring people under the lordship of Jesus Christ He is going to build his church. And you should want to participate with that. To God alone be wise and be glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. What a great conclusion to this letter that he brings to us. Now, I want to lay out a few things for you that I would say. They used to say this, the Puritans would say, here's some uses for this text. Some things that you can maybe applications for it. Number one, we should see Paul's extensive relationships. He had many people from multiple backgrounds that were of great influence and value in his life and in the church's life. You know, sometimes you'll hear in America, especially in America, we're really big on individualism, uh, self-made men kind of mentality. Uh, We we like that kind of person. We like to even celebrate them. We want to read biographies sometimes about someone like that, but that's not an accurate statement at all. Paul doesn't see it that way. He sees these countless people that have worked alongside him from the highest to the lowest to different kinds of work. They're all participating together in the advancement of the gospel. He knew he did not work alone. And he honored people. He's not one of those guys that said, oh, look how great I am. I'm better than all of you. And uh, really, if I did not exist on the planet, you would not survive. That's not his idea. The church wouldn't make it if I wasn't here. I mean, all that nonsense. He doesn't believe that for a moment. He knows that Christ is building his church and that there are people along the way in so many different ways that are blessing him and blessing the church. Second. These people of different types of backgrounds, like I said, wealthy and poor, slave and free, are a reminder to us that we need one another, we need gifts, we need different backgrounds. God is using all different types of people. The variety of people within the church makes it more beautiful and strong. We don't have to say, oh, everybody in this church needs to look like this and everybody in this church needs to look like this. It's one of those things where you see people of all different types that God is bringing together. And I think the church, closer the church sees that and savers that in this world, the more they are like what it's going to be like in heaven. Third, hospitality was a big deal in the church. There, there's a welcoming kind of mentality. And that should be there. You should say, I, I love to, to build relationships with people. I love reaching out to others. I love investing myself in other people. Some people say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I live a good Christian life. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't do that. But listen, the issue here is what are you doing to serve other people? I don't really like people. Then wh- what, what is that? You know, it's you are building your life into the lives of others. You are living a hospitable life. You're welcoming people into your family. We are to see the great privilege of being a part of the body. We are to love one another. That's what you see here. Fourth, although we are to welcome one another, we should be able to spot wolves. Those who are in sheep's clothing who seek to destroy the church. There are always going to be those who want to divide it. There are always going to be those who want to tear it down. There's always going to be someone out there trying to undermine the work that God is doing. The enemy is seeking to destroy the church. He seeks to do so in so many different ways. And we need to be aware of that. Fifth thing I see that I think is really important is this. God is more committed to building His church than we are. I mean, that's just a reality. Sometimes it's hard for us to maybe think that or whatever, but God is really, really, really committed to building His church. He is so committed to building His church that He sent His Son to die for the church. So he's more committed than you and me and all of us here. He's more committed than, than, than the Billy Grahams of the world. He is committed to doing it and he's using his people to accomplish it. So we can know that this will come to pass. So as we conclude Romans, we're really kind of getting to the end of Romans and we're thinking about all this and we think, man, this gospel will go forth. God's going to use individuals of all different types. There are those that are going to try to undermine the gospel, but God is going to bring this to pass and we can be filled with hope as we consider that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to give us a greater desire than ever before to be faithful servants in the kingdom. To live in a way that where where someone could say of us. They were a servant of the church. They helped me along the way. They caused me to keep striving together for the faith of the gospel. They, They were heralds of that message. They held it closely, but they also gave it out freely. We pray we would be a church that watches out for that gospel, holds on to it, loves it, cherishes it, and makes sure that it's presented to the next generation. We know that you're going to bring this to pass, Lord, and we are hopeful of that in Christ's name. Amen.